Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on another bright day in a rather deserted city of Westminster in current time still, as once again we put the topic of leadership under the spotlight. I am Scott Chaloner and I'm joined on today's programme by Michael Green. Mike is a company director and shareholder at Icon Fabrications, an award-winning provider of architectural metalwork, glass and steelwork solutions headquartered in Lonehead, Scotland. Mike, welcome to the programme and it's great to have you on the air with us today. Thanks for having me. Thank you, uh, Mike, for taking the time to come onto the programme and speak with me for the benefit of the listeners tuning into this. Now, the purpose of this discussion is to, of course, establish your take on leadership. And I think it's fair to say that leadership is something that's really been put to the test at the moment, isn't it? With, of course, the COVID-19 pandemic and different business leaders having to really feel their way through this um, uncharted territory. Tell me, for somebody working within your industry, how has it been attempting to navigate these last few weeks? Because I can imagine it's posed an incredible challenge in that respect. Yes, I won't pretend it's uh, it's been easy. It's uh, the very uncharted uh, waters that we're, um, we're we're treading at the moment. So it's, uh, it has been tricky. Um, I think um, what we've tried to do at Icon is uh, keep our staff fully informed, and um, as soon as we've received information. Um, you know whether that's through the media or through our accountants or banks, um, where we can, um, you know, um, share that information and keep our employees uh, up to date, so that, you know they're not left wondering um, what what Icon's next move is going to be. Um, you know, we take them with us. Um, every step of the way and um, you know that, that gives them some degree of certainty and, and some um, feeling of involvement within the business which they all play a very important part in. I think that's hugely important uh, Mike making sure that everybody knows that they are valued uh, by the uh, the business because leaders have been under an immense amount of pressure during this time to keep the communication channels open but provide most importantly that vital reassurance for people who are going to be really worried by all of the uncertainty but the reality of the situation is that the leader at the top of the business may not necessarily know too much more than those around them and yet they still got the responsibility upon their shoulders to provide that reassurance as well and so that is incredibly important it's a massive massive responsibility isn't it and luckily leaders are really stepping up to the plate within business at the moment i think it's fair to say yeah, I think they are. Um, you know, what, what leaders of any business uh, require is is uh, sound information, and um, you know that's been the difficulty. Is you know nobody uh, knows when this you know the, the, the lockdowns going to fully finish and we can get back to normality. So uh, the frustration for business is that lack of uncertainty, but. Um, you know, you just have to have to work with what you've got. And in terms of how you've adapted your own sort of leadership approach, if you will, Mike, to meet this crisis, and what sort of changes have you had to make in that respect? Um, well, I think, as I say, I think we have to, you know, we, we have to be conscious that um, that we didn't want staff to be left in the dark. So, uh, you know, whereas in the normal course of things you tend to you know weeks roll into months and um you're not necessarily feeling the uh, 
a requirement uh, to, to tell staff every step that you make, and, and they've not got that that thirst for knowledge. Um, but when things are in 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 the the position that we're in at the moment, then you know everybody's sort of craving information, and, and it's to give them that uh, you know where we can, and um, you know be, be firm and be solid, and um, you know certainly don't come across that you you're kind of muddling through it. Uh, you, you need to be uh, decisive um, because people are looking to leaders to make. Uh, rock solid decisions and, and and not make hasty decisions or uh, or wrong decisions. Mm. And you're yourself, uh, Mike, very experienced in uh, business management and ownership, of course, um, having worked in um, a number of uh, managerial roles um, in previous years before joining Icon around about nine years ago. Um, has that experience really helped you? ready yourself for dealing with a crisis such as this or has it pretty much just been completely uncharted territory and a completely new learning curve for you? Um, no, I think, you know, uh, as you, uh, you know, develop as a, as a business uh, owner, um, you know, you, you, you do learn. It's not something that you can, uh, you know, do a, a degree in necessarily. It's something that, um, you know, you feel your way into. And uh, having been on the other other side of the fence as an employee, you know, you know what makes a good leader and, and what motivates you to work for a good leader. So, um you know, you try and take some of that experience along with you. Mm. And what would you say was the point, Mike, where you knew that the way forward for yourself was to be running your own business, um, essentially, and it would no longer be the employee, but the employer? Um, yeah, it's a good question. I think um, there sort of comes a point in your career and, and you think, well, you know, maybe maybe I could uh, could do this. Um um, and um, you know, you take small steps to start with. Um, they're generally quite quite frightening steps, albeit small ones initially. And um, you you kind of get more confident uh, in in the, the business model that you've created, and uh, you see uh, you know small successes along the way, and then and then you build from there. And that's that's what we've done at, uh, with with Icon uh, Fabrications. You know, we we started nine years ago pricing small jobs of just a handful of people, and uh, we now uh, you know turn over millions of pounds a year, and we've got about eighty five staff. So you just steadily uh, grow things and uh, and take it from there. And interestingly as well, Mike, you mentioned there that it's a constant learning process as well. Um, experience, even in leadership positions, we never stop learning, do we? We are constantly developing. And I think sometimes uh, when you mention sort of setbacks um, as well, they're also necessary learning curves, um, aren't they, uh, for us? And um, you may consider that this whole COVID situation may well be um, one of the biggest setbacks that we'll ever come across. But perhaps there are positives to take from this um, experience um, as well in that sense in embracing it as a learning curve and helping make us and business overall more resilient in a way yeah absolutely i mean we, we've been quite fortunate that we we've not had all our eggs in in one basket and uh, we have managed to uh, retain um about a third of our staff on um essential work um and that's been uh, that's proved uh, 
you know, quite critical to our business, really, that we've managed to, with, because we're a diversified business, um, you know, we've managed to, to keep turnover going to, uh, you know, to some extent. And it's no different, you know, we're obviously we're a, a steel and, and metal fabricator, but it's no different to your local restaurant whereby, um, you know, they've diversified into providing uh, takeaway food rather than sit-in food. So every business uh, tries to diversify or has a wider client base than, than uh, you know, uh, as much of a wider client base as you can get, really. So um, if a particular sector becomes quiet, um, you, you can still, uh, you know, generate a decent amount of turnover and, and profit. Um, so it's just just widening that 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 scope of uh, of, of service really. It's all about adaptability, isn't it? Especially when Absolutely, things are yeah. changing. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, and, and just diversifying where you can, yeah. Mm, absolutely, Mike. And it's good to see, of course, that the uh, the business has uh, been doing that uh, from that point of view. And we talked about one of the greatest teachers in your career um, already being the experience of, um, of course, times of crisis such as this, um, just experience in running business. But um, in terms of other things that have really helped you develop them as an individual, are there any people perhaps that you've worked with or that you've perhaps looked up to over your career that have perhaps had a real impact or a real influence on yourself? Yeah, um, one particular chap, you know, uh, jumps to mind uh, quite a number of years ago. And, you know, I think a good leader is somebody that can uh, motivate others to achieve the maximum potential. And whilst doing that, uh, make it fun. So uh, that's exactly what, 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 um, you know, one of my old bosses did. you know, it was a pleasure to come into work and, and you gave him, you know, 100% every day and uh, had a laugh along the way and, uh, you know, achieved good things. And uh, I think if you can do that, if you can replicate what, what he did, uh, you know, that you, you, you really are going to be quite a successful uh, leader. Mm. And if you were to give some advice to an aspiring leader, uh, Mike, that was maybe about to start their first day in a leadership role, what sort of advice would you give them based upon your own experience? Um, I would say um, delegate um, and monitor. Um, so uh, don't be don't be frightened to delegate work uh, because you can't do everything yourself. Uh, but have have measures in place, checks and measures in place whereby you know you you can keep an eye on things and and you know mentor your staff um to make them uh you know to, to help them work the way you want them to work and teach and, and at the same time you're teaching them um you know because currently leaders aren't going to be around forever and uh you know that they, they will be replaced so um you know i think you need to certainly need to do that as well mentoring is an important part of, uh, of leadership absolutely right and uh, perhaps um for mentors um out there there isn't maybe perhaps as much recognition for them as uh, there should be especially in the uh, the business world as well because we're tempted um, in this country especially i think to associate leadership with celebrity with being in the public eye with politicians perhaps as well and sometimes um, it can fall by the wayside can't it recognition for those figures within business that aren't necessarily at the top of the tree sticking their heads above the parapet but are getting um on with their business quietly mentoring people and really having the biggest influence in a way. 
Yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And I think, uh, Mike, if we do look toward the future now as gain before we do wrap things up on the uh, the programme uh, today and think about what is to come, do give me an idea of what you envision the next 12 months holding for yourself and for Icon and also what you hope to achieve, not just in getting through the uh, COVID-19 situation, of course, but also for what you envision for beyond the uh, the pandemic as well as you begin to emerge from this. Um, yeah, it's, it's obviously we are in this uh, unprecedented times, really. So um, it, it, it's going to be uh, quite a tricky uh, twelve months, uh, you know, to, to navigate through. Um, so um, you know, for, for Icon, um, you know, we're looking to to consolidate. We're not looking to to grow. We, we will consolidate. We'll continue to work with uh, good clients, solid clients. And, um, you know, we'll just see where we are in, you know, when when the dust settles. Um, but, um, you know, our period of growth is, is behind us now. Uh, and um, we, 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 we decided at the turn of the year, pre-COVID-19, to, to consolidate uh, a little. And, uh, and that's exactly what we'll be doing, uh, particularly now, you know, we, we've uh, experienced this... Uh, can certainly see uh, where you're coming from from that uh, point of view, uh, Mike, with that approach uh, going forward. And I think um, given how informative um, it's been having you on the uh, the programme today, it would be fantastic um, if in the next year when we start to see things taking shape in that uh, new marketplace and we understand just how much things have changed, we could perhaps catch up and have you back on the air with us just to see how things are getting on at Icon as well. Yeah, love to do that, yeah. I think that would be hugely beneficial for the listeners uh, tuning into this. And for those who are listening, please do stay at home where you can. Do look after yourselves and do stay safe. It really does make a difference in saving lives. Mike, it's been a real pleasure having you on uh, today's uh, programme with us. And thank you ever so much for taking the time to come onto the air. It's been a real, real pleasure. Thanks very much, Scott. Thank you. And do take care, Mike, and do stay safe yourself as well, for sure. Thank you. You too. That was Michael Green, Company Director and Shareholder at Icon Fabrications. Coming up next on the programme today, I'll be handing over to Jonathan White for his exclusive interview with England's 1966 Football World Cup hero, Sir Jeff Hurst. During his professional footballing career, Sir Jeff scored over 200 league goals for the likes of West Ham United and Stoke City. But most notably, he remains the only man to this day to have scored a hat-trick in the final of a World Cup competition, following his treble in England's 4-2 win over West Germany at the old Wembley Stadium 54 long years ago now. I hope you enjoy listening just as much as Jonathan enjoyed speaking with Sir Jeff himself, and that's coming up next. We're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, uh, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool. Many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. 
So I didn't, and, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, I guess, one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. just being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership, it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood, and of course a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that caliber can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peter's? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the talent of the players I did. Again, again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only... Uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy in the same age group as me. And I looked at how he, how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident, I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships, and you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the value and quality of leadership and that's why I'm very fortunate to 
be involved in my career in those early days were two two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Al Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, at West Ham, your uh, playing came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man, I'm sure, when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, especially with Seven Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, up naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand. Whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you, it can have a, a great impact on your <laughs> your career and of course your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very very strict. Probably at a time at maybe overly strict by the time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across and very few people and he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn for you and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned and I've taken on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in the group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless of that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, Jeff, you could uh, perhaps pick right now that did show those uh, qualities in uh, South so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that's for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be, be playing. In, in the team but uh, in a couple of friendly games more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway I think in Denmark mm. I didn't I played two of the four games and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England and he he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay he started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Hunt. so mm. I, I had the, the impact of thinking I, at that stage I, like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Glee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that 
someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out, mm. out. So I never really felt, people talk about pressure a lot and it's there and people, players talk about it, people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessarily feel any great pressure, pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that, that were left in the squad after he moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Al showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very... I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Uh, we had some great players, but overall, they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I... I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about twenty minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. It's too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal and I looked round, put my foot on the ball and looked round for a little while and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited to just have a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and the most stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely... But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we... Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want. You got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh, doing a, a at a dinner in the you know, Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honour. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions, and then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, 
when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Uh, well, uh, and we... That you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like I that. Just, but then I again, found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make again, laugh that if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, <laughs> but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff. I think um, you, you were a young man when see this happened. When you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you or did you just realise that by, by quick, one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps... Uh, there are there are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke, and of course in, uh, England fans who, um, I, I think probably uh, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest that I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, well, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it, perhaps. Um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitch, is people must realise that that's, that has an influence. How you react and behave mm-hmm. to, to situations on and off the field surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team laterally. Um, yeah. And and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader? Um, well, a, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think. Some of the outstanding. I think the, the best example about a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's that a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolute leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely—you've mm. got to take him as the first example. But Klopp's only done this over a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United, 
and subsequently since he's gone, how they they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen. We've seen we've probably ever seen, and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's ast- absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think? Could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they uh, Ron Greenwood. Yeah, well, the, the answer is straightforward. Answer is yes. Um, That's a good they, answer. <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with um, I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England. Who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were, I was very fortunate, and I wouldn't pick any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. yeah, so many, and that's why we were successful because we had so many. Um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team, I think that that was outstanding, and uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody. And I'm going back on an earlier earlier question for me that um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days. Every year, uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. um, uh, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't and- when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those. I would pick every one of the 11 players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else. They were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We had some great players. We had some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, we wouldn't have been ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word the word is team, the word is t- the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes uh, together, everyone achieves more, and that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking if if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life. What would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, uh, single-mindedness, dedication, dedication to the job. Um, thinking about that 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 role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. If you, I don't think you can switch off. When you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level, 
you may, you know, have a, wait, have a couple of weeks holiday. But I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's, you completely focus, you're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to, nice to have a talk about this and just go over the, over the past and just uh, refresh my, mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Challoner. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.